changemakers. You see them all around you. They're in your communities, your schools, your workplace. They do powerful things and they make change happen. In this series, we interview the many changemakers who built up their policy toolkits at Princeton and went on to change their communities. These are their stories. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Changemakers. Today, I have the opportunity to welcome Martine De Simone, MPA class of 2018, to the show. Thanks so much for joining me, Martine. Thank you so much for having me, Rose. It's my pleasure. So Martine works as an education specialist for the World Bank in the Western and Central Africa region. Before that, he worked for the Office of the Vice President of the Africa region. Martine has been a member of the Africa Human Capital Team, where he worked on the design and implementation of the Africa Human Capital Plan. Before joining the World Bank, Martine worked for several governments, think tanks, and civil society organizations on the intersection between human development and violence, as well as on institutional reforms. An Argentinian national, Martine was director of education and security for the federal government of his country, where he led several programs in coordination with national universities. He received his bachelor's degree in political science from the University of San Andreas in Argentina and his MPA from Princeton in 2018. Again, I'm just thrilled to be speaking with you today, Martin. And I'm also thrilled to be speaking with you, Rose. Thank you. So I want to start with your background before we jump into work and your career. You know, we actually, before the show, we were talking about how we interviewed you uh, for an interview a few years ago for our formerly... Uh, Woohoo series, which is now called Policy Profile. So in that, we learned you're from Argentina. And in 2001, the country went through an intense political and economic crisis. Can you talk about how that affected you both personally and professionally? Yes, thank you for asking that. Um, as, as you said, in 2001, the country went through a huge political and economic crisis. And I think it had long lasting consequences, both at the country level, but also in my life in particular. I consider that point a critical juncture in my life, even though I was 10 years old. I remember a lot of civil unrest. Uh, unfortunately, uh, many people passed away. Um, the poverty rate was about 50%. Uh, the unemployment was about 25%, which was very, very high for the standards of the country. And um, I remember that, for example, people didn't trust the currency because it didn't have a lot of value. So they even started uh, barter clubs. And I, I even remember going to the barter clubs and exchanging goods for food or for uh, services and different products. And at that point, uh, my dad uh, lost his job, unfortunately. And um, I think that's when I learned that, you know, a, a, an economic crisis has really far-reaching consequences that are not only in the economic domain. It also affects your health, your well-being, your social relations, and a lot of different things in, unfolded. But um, to summarize, when I was a, a teenager, my mom, um, first, first my mom and then my dad, they passed away. And um, I think that's when I learned the, the value of community and, and that there is a big difference between uh, being born poor and also becoming poor. Because even though uh, we became poor in that situation, we had a very solid uh, network of, of people from our community who helped us a lot. I even remember people from my school, you know, bringing food to my house or even paying the electricity bill. So really the power of community was, was very important. For me, it was a, a challenging period. But I think all thanks to, to the support of those people and, and to different circumstances, I was able to over, overcome those challenges. 
but for me, it was a very, a very important point in my life because I realized that personally, I did nothing to deserve that situation. And I think there are a lot of inequities um, that are not people's responsibilities, but people suffered those consequences. And that's when I realized that I wanted to have a, a career in, in public policy or to be a public servant, because I think public service is a tool to address those issues that create inequalities and that are, in my opinion, inherently uh, unfair. Um, so I think after all those uh, challenges years, uh, I had the opportunity to receive a great education, including uh, in Princeton. And But many people do not have that opportunity. And that's why I think public policy is, a, is an important tool and has an important role to play to change that reality for many people. That's a really challenging start um, that you experienced. And I'm sort of curious what happened between losing your parents, which I'm guessing, you know, you got through that through the community support that you mentioned, and then eventually moving to the U.S. What mm -hmm. went on between those two time periods for you? A lot of things, because uh, if you ask me when I was uh, 11 or 12, I would have never imagined myself living in the U.S., for example. But basically, uh, my mom passed away when I was uh, 11 or 12. Uh, and my dad when I was 16. So I was in high school. I was able to finish high school while working in the afternoon. And then I received a scholarship for uh, my bachelor's degree in political science. And this was in a university that was quite far away from my house. So uh, I had to move. And it was a liberal arts college, which is not typical at all in Argentina. And honestly, I received a lot of support from the University of San Andres, and I'm very thankful to them. And uh, what I always say is that uh, at that point, uh, coming to the U.S. to study or even to work for me was unthinkable. It wasn't impossible. It was unthinkable. I couldn't even imagine that situation. It was not part of my scenario of possibilities. Uh, and then I, I remember uh, one time we had in the, in the university, we had a conversation with some graduates from American universities. And I remember leaving that conversation saying, wow, that, that's cool, but it's, it's really impossible for me, but it's really cool. And I was with one of my friends and she was like, no, why? That's, that's not impossible. We can do it. So the interesting thing about that point that I always remember is that for me at that point coming to the U.S. was impossible, but it was not unthinkable anymore. It became part of the scenarios that I could imagine. So then I graduated from school. Um, I think that's when things started getting a bit a bit better in my family, and there was more stability. So it was really a, a better situation. I had a I had a stable job, and that's when I applied to a, a Fulbright scholarship. Uh, very incentivized by many of my professors as well that they thought that it was a real possibility. And I got the Fulbright scholarship. I ended up rejecting it at the end of the day because Princeton was very generous with the scholarship program as well. And, and finally, I came to the U.S. In, in 2016. I had a lot of hesitations, to be honest. But uh, in retrospect, I think it was a great, great decision. Yeah, that's quite the decision. Princeton, Fulbright, um that's really impressive. And then also 2016, what a year to move to the United States. So you've seen a really unique chapter in the United States history. You touched upon this a little earlier, but I'm sort of curious at, at what point you said, you know, I, I want a career in policy and I know I want to be a public servant and this is why. I think I was very, very young. If it didn't happen in, in the beginning of the crisis in 2001, it might have been uh a year or two years later. But as far as I can remember, I think I've always had this, uh, 
this uh, certainty that I wanted to pursue a career in, in public policy. And today, maybe I, I conceive it in a broader way in which I think you can contribute to public issues from very different domains. Uh, but as far as I can remember, I've always had that uh, commitment uh, to work for the public good uh, and not just for something that might be uh, good for yourself and, and for your family, but for something that can really strengthen communities, uh, countries, and, and why not uh, the society as a whole. So for me, that uh, year 2001 was a real critical juncture in which even though it was very, very destabilizing for my family and my community, it also had a big impact that I feel even today. You know, I think you might be one of the first alums I've spoken to who works for the World Bank, actually. So I'm eager to hear about your experiences there. And I'm curious in your work, what are some of the more pressing policy issues you're dealing with today or in the past? Yeah, so as you know, in the World Bank, we work with uh, global issues and, and global problems. And it's an organization whose goal is to eradicate extreme poverty and at the same time promote shared prosperity. Uh, so I'm going to start responding to that question maybe from a, a broader perspective, which is that I think our generation has three big challenges. Um, the first one, it's obviously climate change, probably the most important challenge of our generation. And I think it's pretty much a collective action problem in which those who contribute the least to the problem are the ones who are affected the most. And um, we know that the main driver is the emissions of uh, greenhouse uh, gases and and we have these reports that show that the surface temperatures are rising by 0.2 Celsius uh, per decade. So it's really, I think, probably the most pressing issue for our generation. Then we have a second issue, which in my opinion is conflict and violence. Uh, if we look at the statistics, we see that there is approximately half a million people killed in homicides every year. And uh, my region, which is uh, Latin America, that's a particularly important problem because we have 8% of the global population, but 33% approximately of the homicides. So it's really a violent region in that way. And then we have other other forms of conflict, like uh, people who die in armed, in armed conflicts, approximately 90,000 people a year, or even terrorist attacks. But the reason why I think this is a key issue is because global development problems are more and more concentrated in places with violence and conflict. In fact, according to some estimates, by 2030, in, in less than nine years, half of the extreme poor will be living in places affected by fragility, conflict, uh, or violence. So that's why I think that's the most one of the most pressing issues as well. And probably the third one is technology, right? Because technology provides tremendous opportunities to solve some of these global issues, but it also has some risks, including uh, the risk of increased inequality, polarization, and, and other issues as well. So I think those are the three big uh, challenges of our generation. And in my work in the World Bank, I, I, I come across those three things all the time because I work on human capital uh, or human development. Basically, we define human capital as the knowledge, skills, and health that people accumulate throughout their lives and that enables them to realize their potential. And I think it's, it's related to all of those three issues that I mentioned before, because climate change, for example, affects food production and food production affects nutrition outcomes. And if you, we don't have good nutrition, especially in early childhood, you don't really develop the cognitive skills to learn skills and to, and, and, and to succeed in life later. Uh, same with conflict, right? Um, in many of the countries that I work, 
Uh, nowadays, we have uh, conflict concentrated in schools, actually attacks by criminal organizations or terrorist organizations that target schools and, and children. And it's really difficult if you invest in education and better schools, better, better teachers, to actually improve your results if that's one of the, of the main issues. And same with, with technology. Technology provides great opportunities to solve um, and to increase human capital, but also has some risks, especially when it comes to inequality across countries uh, and, and many countries that don't have access to technology even today. So um, I'm working a lot on human capital in the, in the World Bank, but I really try to look at it from a multi-sectoral perspective. And I think that focusing on human capital, we can actually create sustainable and inclusive development. And actually, I wanted to mention that with, with one of my friends from Princeton, um, James Laddie Williams, we started writing a book about, about these, um, the three big challenges of our generation and how they're also affected by polarization. So hopefully soon we will have a first draft. We're working a lot on that. So that's another thing that Princeton gave me good friends that I can work with. <laughs> Well, that's exciting. I appreciate you laying out those issues and laying them out in a way that's digestible for our listeners. You know, I'm, I'm going to throw you a, a, a curveball question, which is I'm trying to hire an intern to help me with, you know, podcasts like these and others. And one of the applicants said, you know, I think in the podcast, you should ask how people, whether they're in policy or not, can get involved in politics and affect some of the issues you're talking about. So do you have any quick thoughts on that in terms of, you know, how can we, uh, these issues are just so big. How could a person like me affect any change at all related to them? Well, I think nobody can really escape uh, politics. And um, it's true that these are global issues and we need global solutions and we need the commitment from, from the government. But it's also true that the commitment from the governments is not, independent from the actions that citizens uh, might take. And, and we see it in, in, in many countries that issues like climate change uh, have not been a priority of many governments, for example, just because from an economic point of view, in the very short term, it might not be uh, convenient, even though in the long term it is. But we have seen a lot of action from civil society organizations and organized uh, groups uh, that have uh, pushed for these issues and at the end of the day, they are created, creating change, even very young people, as, as we know. And when we look at those civil society organizations, it's nothing special. They are, at the end of the day, people like us who decide that this is a very important issue and that they want to contribute in, in their own way. And even though it might start as something very small, uh, it, end up, it ends up having a, a big impact at the, at the global level. So we shouldn't be scared by the, world, by the word politics. And I think we can escape politics. And at the end of the day, it's how real change uh, happens. And the same with the other issues, as, mentioned, as I mentioned, uh, this uh, issue of climate change is an, is an example. But I think it's, it's uh, for any issue that might be a challenge at the global level, there is something that you can do in your community to organize your people and promote change. That's really well said. Thank you. So I, I want to turn a little bit to things you've learned on the job um, in terms of, you know, just skills and strategies you've learned that you could impart upon those listening, whether, you know, there are prospective students or students currently at the school. This is a broad question, but just what are some of the more important strategies you've learned along the way? That's an interesting question. I think that one of the most important takeaways for me is that almost any 
endeavor that is worth undertaking requires teamwork. And uh, you might have the best individual skills, but at the end of the day, investing time in getting to know people, getting to know their motivations and ambitions is probably one of the most important things. You have to know uh, the people you work with and their perspective in order to be uh, successful as a team. I, I can't really imagine a skill that is more important than this. I think the ideal situation is a scenario in which you can take the most out of everyone while at the same time allowing everyone to make the most out of the common tasks or project that you have. And I think when uh, in the few occasions in which you can do that is when you actually uh, can see amazing results uh, happen. So it's a general question, as you said, but I think the importance of teamwork is, in my opinion, uh, one of the most uh, relevant issues. And it might, be, it might be counterintuitive when you are, for example, applying for grad school because it's a very individual um, endeavor and, and you do it alone, you take your exam, etc. But then at the end of the day, almost everything uh, is about teamwork. So invest your time in getting to know people. That's, that's my message on this. What's the best way to get to know people that you, can you talk about like just an example of, I don't know, how you build relationships? I think a lot of us know how to do that, but maybe there are people who struggle with that. What would you say to them? Well, um, I'm Argentinian, so sometimes we tend to blur the the limits between work and, and, and personal life. And we talk a lot about different things, but I actually think that's a good strategy, you know, talking a little bit about things that motivate you besides work. Uh, the reason why you're doing what you're doing, you know, getting to know each other in a more personal way uh, without, of course, um, blurring the, the limits too much, but just get, knowing that the, the person you work with is also a human being with motivations, with problems, and you really never know what the other person is going through. So I, I say, I would say that spending or investing your time in getting to know the other person at a, at a more personal level level rather than just interacting at a professional level is uh, one of the best things uh, you can do. And uh, in my experience, some people, uh, depending on the different cultures, because, you know, for example, at the World Bank, we work with many different uh, cultures, uh, they might not be open to that in the beginning, but at the end of the day, you have so many things in common with, with everyone. For me, for example, football is, is, is one of those uh, things, or soccer. Uh, when I go to a completely different culture, something that we have in common is actually soccer and we talk a lot about it and and I think that helps us uh, become more comfortable with each other and and work together uh, better. Yeah, sports can be a good equalizer. Exactly. (laughs) Well, you mentioned about teamwork and now you and Laddie are working on this book, which is great. And I'm curious if you can talk more about, you know, what your experience was like at the School of Public and International Affairs, because you, you work a lot with your peers and now, you know, you've had all these, developed all these great friendships from it. So can you talk about a bit about that time? That time for me was really uh, amazing. Uh, I remember at the very beginning, I couldn't understand how not only everyone was like a very good professional with super interesting experiences, etc., but also I found very good people. And I really liked everyone a lot. And uh, I think we created very strong uh, connections, just um, going through the same challenges every day, not just uh, in the school, but also in our lives, etc. And I think Princeton is, a, is an excellent environment because it creates a, a scenario or a, a situation in which we are pretty much 
everyone is in the same situation and the sa- facing the same challenges. And um, I think the fact that, you know, everyone has uh, full funding from the school also creates this environment in which really everyone is facing the same constraints. And there is a lot of incentives for cooperation on collaboration that I haven't really seen a lot in many organizations. So I think you create very strong uh, bonds that are long lasting and that uh, at the end of the day, you can use them in your professional career as well. Like we are doing with Ladi, but also with some other friends that today we work together at the World Bank or many of us uh, moved to Washington, D.C. And we really have a strong community here. And, and that's something really nice that I, I appreciate a lot from, from Princeton, besides uh, the amazing uh, academic curriculum and the classes that I had the opportunity uh, to take. So I really enjoyed those two years uh, a lot, much more than I was expecting. In the beginning, when I was a bit uh, scared, I, I really didn't imagine that that was going to be the case, but it was fantastic. And sometimes I miss it a little bit. <laughs> Oh, yeah. The network is really incredible. Every, everyone I talk to, all, all the alums say that's a, that's a common theme among alums. I'm curious, uh, nuts and bolts wise, if you will, how the school prepared you for your career and what you're doing now in terms of the tactical skills. Yes, I think something that the school taught me was the power of interdisciplinarity, you know, and I was coming to Princeton with a degree in political science, uh, but I really learned the importance of having different disciplines and different approach, approaches. Today, for example, I use a lot of psychology or behavioral interventions uh, in some of the projects that I design. I also use quantitative tools that I learned in Princeton and even communication strategies or, or the importance of political economy. I always say that uh, policies might be or might look great on paper, but to be implemented, you always have to take into consideration the institutional and structural constraints. So at the end of the day, I think I something I really appreciate about Princeton is that it taught me the importance of interdisciplinarity. And I always have this um, analogy between two animals, the, the fox and the hedgehog. It's an analogy that comes from from Greece, uh, but it was also um, used by different philosophers, political scientists, uh, psychologists. But the idea is that hedgehogs tend to focus on a single issue, on a single thing, and be specialists on that issue. And on the other hand, you have uh, foxes that have a curious mind, and they might not be experts on a particular thing, but they are much more open to different perspectives. And I think what Princeton taught me is to become a little bit of a fox, I would say, and to be open to different perspectives, uh, to different approaches, to look at a problem from different angles. And I'm not saying you shouldn't specialize because this world is a world that values specialization a lot. But even when you specialize, you should always keep in mind that you should be looking at problems from, from different angles. That's such a good perspective and maybe even good food for thought for our undergraduates who are thinking about majoring in SPIA because they'll learn a lot of that as an undergraduate as well. Uh, I'm actually curious if we could talk a little bit about, you know, prospective students, because I I assume some of them are listening to this program. I hope they are. And I'm curious what you would tell them about getting a policy degree or getting a policy degree at Princeton and just what advice you would give to them. Well, the first advice is that I know the process uh, might be a bit uh, intimidating or frustrating, but remember what I said in the beginning, right? Like uh, for me, it was unthinkable at some point, and then it, it became possible and it became a reality. So keep that perspective in mind 
when you're struggling maybe in your application process or you don't need you don't really know how to proceed i think that's that's a very important uh, issue the second thing is that if you really have a commitment for for public policy or for public service i i really encourage you to apply to princeton because i haven't seen a program that really motivates you to become someone who can think of a problem but act on that problem as well from a multi-sectoral and dynamic perspective. For example, the fact that we learned psychology for public policy, which is not common at all in most public policy uh, schools, for me has been uh, a tool that I've been using a lot in my professional career. So I think my advice for prospective students is don't get frustrated um, and, and believe that it's possible and get support from people around you who might be willing to, to give you a hand. And then for those who are, who, are, who are part of the MPA program or the MPP and they're about to graduate, I think something very important is to spend some time in investing in your skills rather than in knowledge in particular, because we live in a world in which uh, knowledge is accessible and also, things change all the time. In a couple of years, what you learn today might completely change and might not be relevant anymore. Whereas if you learn skills, those skills, you will use them forever. And try to learn skills that transform you into someone versatile, into someone adaptable to different circumstances. I always recommend trying to have a combination of soft and hard skills. And I think for that, our school is excellent because on the one hand, you learn all the quantitative tools that you will need but you also learn the soft skills that at the end of the day are extremely relevant and would allow you to be flexible to different challenges in the future. That's great advice. That's perfect. Well, Martine, we're just about out of time. I'm wondering, is there anything else you'd want to share before we wrap up today? I don't think so. I think uh, it was a great conversation. Um, so I really enjoyed it and um, I'm looking forward to listening to the podcast. I've been following the series. It was uh, very interesting. So uh, thank you so much for inviting me and having me. It, it was really great catching up with you, Martine. I really appreciate you taking the time and thanks for being part of Changemakers. Thank you so much for having me and I really, really enjoy the conversation. You've been listening to Changemakers, a podcast produced by the Princeton School of Public and International Affairs. This show is hosted, produced, and edited by me, Rose Huber. Listen and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you find podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time.